welcome back to Trennis Magnus Punches Reality, presented by Two True Freaks. I'm your host, Magnus, and what I do normally is I talk about comics, movies, and TV shows. But being as this is October and Halloween is just around the corner, I thought it might be kind of fun to talk about a bunch of scary movies. Or perhaps lacking that, movies... If these are not slasher movies, then perhaps these could be movies about slashers. Or, lacking that, maybe... You know what, maybe maybe the theme is just... Movies that could some way or another, however stupidly, tie in with the Halloween season. And maybe could somehow qualify as scary movies or something. I don't know. This whole concept, I'll be honest with you, isn't... I, I wouldn't say it's terribly well thought out, but hey. It seemed like a good idea at the time. So I'm going with it. Anyway, so for today's scary movie, uh, this is actually going to be... This is a movie I've got a little bit of a complicated relationship with in some ways. But uh, this is uh, 2007's Zodiac, directed by David Fincher. And one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about this movie is because it was a big priority to me that I see this this movie in theaters back when it came out in... Uh, I want to say it was July of 2007. That sounds about right. And um, uh, basically what had happened was, you know, sometimes in life you you see a movie trailer for some movie or another, and you know, you know that you've got to find some kind of way to see that movie. This is a priority. Well, I saw the trailers for Zodiac, and that's pretty much where I was coming from. You know, I have got to see this movie. And so I did. I ended up taking this uh, ex-girlfriend of mine. She and I went up uh, to see the movie together. And honestly, I, I remember, for the most part, enjoying the movie. I didn't so much enjoy the movie-going experience because I took my ex-girlfriend with me, and she, I don't know... Yeah. I think she missed the entire fucking point of what Zodiac as a film is supposed to be because we were maybe two or three steps into the uh, into the lobby after the movie was over <clears throat> and she said, "Well, that was just so boring. That 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 was boring. That was a boring movie." And I just like I, I looked at her and I mean I don't want to get too much too much out in the weeds on failed romances and all that but it's like sometimes you know you can just you can see the end of something coming you know and I don't think that was the first time that I foresaw the end of my relationship with that particular ex-girlfriend but uh yeah that was certainly a, a another nail in the coffin that's for damn sure I mean that is just the dumbest criticism that somebody can possibly make about Zodiac, you know, and I mean the film Zodiac, not the person. Well, I guess it would be a stupid criticism of Zodiac the person uh, as well, but whatever. My point is that, is that calling Zodiac the film boring, <clears throat> yeah, that's that's that, that's just dumb, uh, and uh, ain't nobody got time for that. So, <clears throat> now excuse me while I get a sip off my coat, because all of a sudden my throat is very, very dry. <clears throat> All right. So anyway, I uh, went to see the movie, and like I say, for the most part, I greatly enjoyed it. Uh, the Zodiac case is that 
that's something that had fascinated me for a pretty long time, guys. Because you see, what when I was a kid, I kind of had a little bit of an interest in true crime stories, right? And I think the seeds of that probably, probably the granddaddy of them all, at least for me, was the Kennedy assassination, you know? Because when I was a kid, my view of that was how the hell does somebody shoot the president to death in broad daylight in front of dozens of witnesses, several of whom are armed with video cameras, and this guy's head not end up on a pike as a warning to others? How the fuck does that happen? Well, it did happen. So, you know, discovering some of the intricacies of, uh, of the case, you know, goings on with uh, the Kennedy assass uh, assassination, all these interested parties and, and, and everything. Uh, you know, I think it was Oliver Stone who said that superficially the case, it doesn't make sense just if you look at it on the most superficial level. But man, when you start digging into this thing, like the more you dig into it, the deeper the rabbit hole goes, man. And sure enough, that is certainly the case with the Kennedy assassination. And, the, and of course, you know, that leads into other directions as well. Jack the Ripper was a favorite. I mean, here again, how is it that you've got this guy prowling around London, murdering people, and the police, they just, they don't know how to catch him. We just, we don't, we don't know who he is. We, we can't find him. How the hell does that happen? And I would say that really to a greater degree, all of that definitely applies to Zodiac. I don't know why, but there was something about this case, even when I was a kid, and I mean, I was like 10 or 11 years old, learning about this case, it's like on the one hand, Yes, it gave me the willies, but on the other hand, it just filled me with curiosity, you know? I, not so much like, how does it happen? Because all the different documentaries and news specials and TV specials and all this stuff, uh, things that were coming out about Zodiac back when I was about 10, 11, 12 years old, they pretty well explain how exactly it is generally that the Zodiac got away with it. Not so much how he got away with it, I, I guess maybe it's more that what went wrong with the investigation, you know, what errors, what completely unforced errors were made that basically allowed Zodiac to escape. Because realistically, solving this case was, that was not impossible for San Francisco PD to do, and the other, the, you know, the, uh, the other stations, the, the other jurisdictions that were involved as well. <clears throat> Same thing goes for them. Solving this case, at least in theory, was not beyond them. In theory, they could have solved this case, except they didn't because certain things were working against them, you know? So it's not necessarily that Zodiac was just so brilliant. It's that he was, let's face it, he was really talented at, at escaping, but at the same time, a lot of things were going wrong with the police investigation. And so it really was the perfect storm of factors, but it, I don't know why, maybe it was just the fact that I was a kid and I didn't really understand all the, uh, all the details and the nuances of the case. I just, I guess I just didn't really fully grasp all that stuff. You know, not just that Zodiac was really good at, at, at escaping the cops, the cops themselves, they didn't necessarily get the break that they needed on, uh, on the case. Uh, 
And so that was the part that I just, I guess I just didn't completely grasp when I was a kid. And so what Zodiac as a film endeavors to do is it basically, it basically attempts to, I don't want to say set the record straight, but just basically put down a little bit of a, basically put down a bit of a record as to what it was that happened, who were the people that were involved, what did they say, when did these things happen, et cetera, et cetera. And basically, not necessarily make a documentary, because I don't think this is this film is a documentary at all, but <clears throat> uh, basically just make a record, I guess, of what, of what this case was all about. And in relation to that, there's really no choice except for me, or, or rather, there's no choice for me except to say that this movie is a resounding success when it comes to clarifying exactly what it is that happened, who was involved, um, you know, what what went right with the case, what went wrong with the case, etc., etc., and basically getting all that stuff out there, you know. So definitely, it was it was informative when it when it came to that. Even when I saw this movie, and I would say, really, even now, I don't consider myself to be any type of authority or an expert or anything like that when it comes to the Zodiac murders. This is just a case, like I say, that's that's always interested me. And I think part of the reason why this true crime stuff in general interests me, but especially the Zodiac case, is, guys, I make no secret about it. If you've listened to my podcast for any length of time, you know that I'm a geek, all right? I love comics. I especially love comics that are about superheroes, right? I, I, I like comics. I like, I, I like the myth of it all, you know? It's, it's something that, that's, for whatever reason, it's always just spoken to my soul. Can't even explain why, but it's just something that I've always had a tremendous amount of affection for. Tremendous amount of affection. But... You look around IRL and what you realize is, you know what? In a manner of speaking, to a certain degree, there really aren't any real-life superheroes. I mean, yeah, you have weirdos like that uh, uh, that, that are running around in outfits and stuff. And, you know, sometimes you get news stories about these... I don't even... I, I refuse to call these people superheroes, but these costumed individuals, um, one of whom, probably the most famous of whom is uh, Phoenix Jones, but there are others, other IRL superheroes who really do put on like costumes and shit and really do try to fight crime. And I want to make a distinction between them and these cosplayers who will do like food drives or they'll do clothing drives or, or, or they'll do charitable type stuff, you know? There are people out there who this is a pretty apparently it's this is a pretty popular thing to do. Uh, get yourself all dolled up like Wonder Woman or Spider Man or something like that, and you feed the homeless, or you work in a soup kitchen or something like that. Um, I'm not talking about the, those people, you know. I'm talking about people who really think they can go out there and be Batman, like for real, you know. Those people, yeah, but. Anyway, so I guess what I'm saying is apart from aberrations like them, you really don't have real life superheroes, you know? They just, that, that's not really a thing. Real life supervillains, though, I do think they are, they are real. 
to varying degrees. They are real. And however much credibility you want to give to this, I kind of have to include Zodiac in that list of real-life supervillains, you know? I mean, motherfucker even wore a costume at one point, you know? This was a guy who, however insane he may have been, however, uh, you know, however much of an animal he might have been, I don't know that describing him as a conventional serial killer, I don't know if I really go for that as much. You know, the fact is, what this guy did, what he was capable of doing, and just the grisly nature of a lot of his murders, to me, this is the kind of thing that a supervillain might very well do if such a thing were to exist in the real world. So, no, we don't actually have, like, real-life superheroes, not really. But we do seem to have real-life supervillains for some reason. So anyway, maybe that's maybe that's to do with why it is that these true crime stories in general and Zodiac in particular, something about them just kind of fascinate me. And like I say, that that could be why. So I don't know. But as to the movie specifically, though, this is one of those movies like sometimes you need to see a movie eh, more than once. Maybe you need to see it a couple of times, you know, two or three or four times before you can really figure out what what the filmmaker is going for here. And I don't think Zodiac is one of those movies. I mean, for me, I was, I think from the very first trailer for this movie that I ever saw, I want to say that I instantly understood what, what the director was up to with this, you know, instantly, uh, you know, understood what kind of movie this was really going to be. And, you know, I guess come to that, the the movie itself, uh, well, it, it was pretty much what I what I figured it would be. But, you know, I was pretty much, like I say, on the same page with David Fincher from the first trailer. I mean, forget about seeing the actual movie. From the first trailer, I pretty well understood, you know, what what Fincher was was up to with this film. And honestly, that was only deepened with, I mean, literally the first thing that you see, the uh, the uh, cards at the beginning of the movie, I think the first one is Paramount, and then the next one is uh, Warner Brothers. Though They look very uh, late 60s, early 70s. Basically, if you're going to see a Paramount film or a Warner Brothers film in the late 60s or early 70s, the the uh, card at the beginning of the movie is probably going to look very similar to what we see at the beginning of Zodiac. And to me, that just, number one, it speaks to, you know, the level of detail that Fincher was working with on this movie. But the other thing is it it sort of deepens the uh, authenticity that the movie is going for, because so many times when you see these period pieces, they don't, they don't really come off as period pieces. They come off more like actors in the modern day are wearing sort of vintage or throwback uh, fashions. But this is still the modern day. It doesn't really feel like a period piece. Whereas, damn it, man, Zodiac, that feels like it really is taking place in 1969, 1970, and going forward from there, 1971, and so forth. It really does feel 
like it's taking place in that time. It feels like it really is 1969 as you watch the movie. And, you know, part of that is due, let's face it, to production design. You know, um, you can you can achieve a lot with the right production design. And uh, a lot of it is to do with with just the fashion, uh, the cost, for lack of a better way of putting it, the wardrobe, the costume department and the styles of clothing that the characters are wearing. It, it just seems very authentic, you know, in the hairstyles and all that. It, 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 it basically comes off like no expense was spared to make this look and sound as authentic as it possibly can. And I think that's, that's an important thing to do with the Zodiac case in as much as I can't, it, it feels kind of mean or dismissive or reductive or something. I don't know to, to pigeonhole uh, certain events with a certain decade, but I don't know why something to do with Zodiac that just seems not just 1960s to me, but specifically San Francisco. There's something about the Zodiac murders. It could only have happened in 1960s San Francisco. Only 1960s San Francisco could produce something like the Zodiac, right? And so getting that level of authenticity, it's a bigger deal than you might think, at least for my participation, right? So anyway, so... Uh, getting into sort of the uh, the nitty gritty of uh, of the story, though, the movie basically kicks off really with a lot of scene setting. You know, it's basically Mike Mageau and Darlene Farron. They're just kind of cruising around uh, San Francisco, and uh, in the end, they decide to go up to a lover's lane in Vallejo, and that's when. Zodiac makes his first move that we see, at least in the film. Now, it's suggested that Zodiac had killed other people in the past, and we don't really get a whole lot of information about that, but this is at least the first murder that he's known to have committed, right? And that that single moment does so much to set up the, the style and the tone of what this movie is going to be, that I honestly can't picture the movie starting any other way. And one of the things that I kind of appreciate about the movie is how it doesn't really shy away from, shall we say, embarrassing elements of some of the victims' lives. A good example being Mike Mageau and Darlene Farron themselves. Darlene Farron was a married woman, y'all, and yet here she was on a lover's lane with somebody who was not her husband. And you can kind of figure what Darlene and and Mike probably would have done together, if you know what I mean, if Zodiac hadn't done probably the worst coitus interruptus in the entire history of mankind. And it's, but the movie doesn't shy away from the fact that the circumstances of Darlene's murder actually reflect pretty fucking poorly on her, all things considered. And the other thing that it does 
is by setting up the, just the reality of Mike Majot, who he is, what he saw, what he experienced. It makes what happens with Mike at the end of the movie, it does put a little bit more of a bow around things. And I'm going to talk about the end of the movie just a little bit more in in a second. But, you know, for right now, you know, this is just the perfect opening to the movie. But then when you start getting into the actual police investigation, uh, you know, the the uh, the the different cops that are they're running around trying to find uh, trying to find their man, you know, and you've got uh, you've got Inspector Dave Toshke. You've got uh, uh, his partner, Bill Armstrong. Uh, let's see who else. There's uh, Sergeant Mullinax from uh, Vallejo, played by, of all people, Elias Cotillas. Um, there's a how do you, I don't even know how to pronounce this guy's name. Donald Loge. He's a uh, Captain Narlow in a, a Napa Valley so on and so forth, right? All of these different cops. And the thing is, you know, any one of these cops, again, in theory, could have solved this case. It's just the mother of all screw-ups, just a series of unfortunate events that unfolded that prevented all of them from getting their man. But for me, that's the real franchise of this movie, right? Basically, the entire movie itself, it's just a touch over two and a half hours long. But the first, let's say half of it, like first hour and, I don't know, like 40 or 45 minutes, something like that. The first hour and 40 minutes, that is the the police investigation. Like I say, you have these the cops that I just mentioned. They're running around. They're doing their investigations. They're trying to find their man. And... To me, that is hands down the best part of the movie. Uh, when I want to watch Zodiac, I mean, honestly, I can take or leave the movie after about the hour and 40 minute mark. Basically, just about the time that the handwriting samples seemingly exonerate Arthur Lee Allen. After that, I'm kind of done with the movie because after that, Robert Graysmith's story sort of takes over. He sort of takes over the the investigation on an unofficial basis. And I don't know. It's for me, uh, the Graysmith part of the story, that that is a real slog to have to get through. And I, I'm not saying that there's nothing re redeeming about it. There's nothing enjoyable about it. Graysmith, he has a few close calls. Um, uh, one in particular, and of course now I'm, I'm uh, blanking on the, the uh, uh, movie theater uh, poster guys, the movie theater illustrator guy's name, but basically there, there's the point when uh, Gray Smith finds himself in, uh, basically face to face with at this point it, what he now realizes is a very viable suspect in. In the Zodiac murders, this for all for all Gray Smith knows, this could this could be the guy, this movie theater poster guy. This this could be the guy, and that whole scene is just it's just tense and it's suspenseful, it's creepy. But I gotta tell you, man, just in general, this is uh, just that section of the film. It just for what it, it just doesn't do it for me. Put it that way. It just it, it doesn't do it for me. So I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying it's not as, 
for me, it's it's just not as engaging as the first half of the movie. But you know, it uh, it's still quite enjoyable. Now, one of the things that the movie does that honestly, I'm not sure that I really a, a, a agree with is post-mortem, it seems to implicate Arthur Lee Allen as the Zodiac, right? The movie ends with uh, adult, this is like grown-up, Mike Majot identifying Arthur Lee Allen from a, uh, a, a series of police mugshots. He says, yeah, that's the guy that shot me. And the movie sort of ends on that note. And was Arthur Lee Allen actually the Zodiac? And unfortunately, there's really no way to ever know for sure because Arthur Lee Allen died not very long before or after Mike Michaud identified him from those police mugshots. Now, that fact was not enough to stop Fincher from implicitly uh, convicting Arthur Lee Allen of being the Zodiac. And guys, I, I am just not ready to sign my name to that. I mean, there was a, um, a YouTube video. It was sort of like an Arthur Lee Allen sort of apologist type of uh, YouTube video where he basically explains in some pretty specific detail, this YouTuber does, he explains in some pretty specific detail why it is that he believes it's impossible for Arthur Lee Allen to have been the Zodiac. Now, guys, here's the thing. There was a shit ton of evidence against Arthur Lee Allen, nearly all of which is circumstantial, you know? It is possible for Arthur Lee Allen to have been 100% innocent and still have all of that circle, uh, circumstantial evidence ranging against him, okay? The reason why circumstantial evidence by itself isn't really the best evidence out there is because it's because of the very fact that a suspect can be absolutely, positively, 100% innocent, but he could still have all this circumstantial evidence, you know, that, well, you know, you you, you say that you were in downtown uh, the night of the murders, and you, you, the murder happened uh, within a block of where you say you were downtown, and you, and it was uh, just half an hour of, you know, it was within half an hour of when you said you were downtown. So I think it's pretty clear that, you know, you're the Okay, well, if you're downtown and somebody gets killed, I mean, you could have been downtown and had nothing to do with it, not even known what was going on. Yes, there is circumstantial evidence. Hey, you went downtown, coincidentally, right at the same time that somebody was murdered, but that doesn't mean you did it. And so, anyway, like I say, the my point is that the great majority of the evidence that we have against Arthur Lee Allen is completely circumstantial. Yes, the, uh, the, the murders overlap, or rather, the murders stop during times when we know that Arthur Lee Allen was in prison, but that doesn't prove that Arthur Lee Allen did it. It just means that for whatever reason, the Zodiac Killer 
did not kill anybody during a time when Alan was in prison. That doesn't prove anything. It's it's coincidental timing. It could suggest something. There may be something there that you want to investigate further. But by itself, that's not really evidence of anything. But it sounds kind of suspicious whenever you say that, wow, the Zodiac murders stopped during times when Alan was known to have been in prison. You know, gee, that, that sure is an interesting coincidence. I mean, that doesn't prove anything, you know. Um, here again, uh, Alan had, uh, Alan was neighbors with, uh, some of the murder victims. Well, that's not against the law. Uh, it is, again, it's completely possible that just by coincidence, some of the murder victims just happen to have Arthur Lee Allen as a neighbor and he's completely innocent. I mean, it's just the way that David Fincher explained it in all of the press junkets and all the other promotional stuff that he did was that he went more deeply into this case than anybody has done since the original investigations uh, were uh, carried out back in the 60s and 70s, all right? Nobody except the police, Fincher says, has done more investigation of these crimes than Fincher himself. So, Assuming he's telling the truth, and certainly I have no reason to doubt him, but assuming that he's telling the truth, then it's fair to say that Fincher knows more about this than I do, and so what business do I have uh, to disagree with him? And it's like, guys, it's not that's not really the point. The point is, Fincher implicitly, implicitly, convicted Alan of being the Zodiac in the movie. And I just got problems with that. He was never tried by a jury of his peers. He was, you know, there was never a, like a real prosecution that was ever assembled uh, to convict him. Nothing like that ever happened, you know? And so, you know, was he the murderer? Was he not? We'll never know for sure. But w the thing is, because of that, it seems to me highly inappropriate to cast too much suspicion on him, the way the movie seems to do, especially when he's not even around to defend himself anymore. And the thing is, it's not like all this stuff was happening in a vacuum. You know, he did interviews with the press uh, during times when he was suspected of being the Zodiac. And there were times, you know, he broke down in tears, you know, saying, I'm not the Zodiac. I'm not the Zodiac. And you know what? Look, the fact is anybody can can deny a crime, including the person who's actually guilty of it. Anybody can conjure up some crocodile tears and pretend like they're all upset. He could have been lying, but he may also have been telling the truth and we have no way of knowing. That's the point. And this guy kind of had, you know, a wreck made of his life. And in the end, well, anyway, so anyway, so that's that stuff. Now, getting a little bit more into... In, in, into brass tacks with the movie. This is one of those movies that, for me, rises and falls, it begins and ends, with the strength of the cast. Because this is not a movie that's all about the thrills and the frills. And um, I guess, you know, a lot of... Like, the franchise for a lot of slasher movies, obviously, is going to be the body count. And that's really less of an issue here. This is... This is really supposed to be, instead of a um, straight-up slasher movie that entertains you with, you know, these um, fictional murders, 
this is a little bit more of a uh, careful examination of actual murders. And so there's really nothing like entertaining uh, about, first off, there are just not very many murders to be found or to be seen in the movie. Um, but what few there are, you know, this isn't done for, for entertainment purposes. This isn't like entertaining Quentin Tarantino style movie violence, you know? This is a little bit more grounded and gritty, and it's it, honestly, it's kind of surprising how violent this movie is not in a lot of ways. But like I say, because of the fact that the movie isn't depending upon the uh, sensationalism of all of these different murders and everything, this movie comes down to the drama, and that's manufactured completely by the cast. And boy, what a cast. Um, you've got Jake Gyllenhaal as Robert Graysmith, and he's this really uh, sort of button-down Boy Scout, um, overachiever, goody-goody uh, type of guy who basically falls ass backwards into uh, investigating the Zodiac case when the police investigations, they basically hit a dead end with Arthur Lee Allen and his seeming, I don't know, uh, exculpation because of certain evidence uh, that was collected by the police and then possibly misinterpreted by the handwriting experts that they consulted, who's to say, you know? So anyway, so from there, basically Gyllenhaal, uh, or really Graysmith, his story takes over. And considering how much of the, the movie Gyllenhaal has to carry, virtually the entire back half of it, Whoever it is that you choose to play Robert Graysmith, he's, well, he, this is not a job that you can sleep through. This is not a role that you can phone in. And, you know, I don't know. I mean, Graysmith, the, the whole purpose, the whole point of, the, uh, of his characterization in the film is that he's supposed to be this kind of forgettable nobody. And what the narrative kind of needs the viewer to do is look at Jake Gyllenhaal convincingly be nobody in the first half of the movie and then convincingly carry on the investigation himself in the second half of the movie. And I got to tell you, Gyllenhaal makes it look effortless. Uh, he has this kind of uh, nervous sort of twitchy body language. You know, he's never really ever relaxed. And boy, does that get cranked up to 11 in the second half of the movie where now... It's possible he's getting these intimidating phone calls from no less than the Zodiac himself. So what's all that about? And I guess since we're on the subject of uh, Robert Graysmith, we should probably talk about uh, should probably talk about uh, uh, Chloe. I think her. I think you pronounce this name Savini. So Chloe Savini as Melanie Graysmith, uh, Graysmith, which is to say Robert's wife. And, uh, I, you know, I've seen Chloe Savini in a couple of things, but honestly, I, I don't really know her from too much else apart from Zodiac. And so for that reason, for me, she is Melanie Graysmith and Melanie Graysmith is Chloe Savini. You know, I mean, yeah, she's the guy that, that gave Vincent Gallo a blowjob in that movie, The Brown Bunny, but Apart from, you know, the obvious scene in The Brown Bunny, I've never actually seen The Brown Bunny. So really, this movie is primarily what I know Chloe Savini from. And um, I don't know why, but it's like she has that, 
she's pretty, but she's not like supermodel gorgeous in this movie. It's like you could believe that Robert Graysmith, a dork like him, could could end up married for however long, but he could end up married to Chloe Savini in this movie. That's just, I don't know. It's, it's just, it's easy. It, it, it's easy to buy into. And when you think about it, <clears throat> there is a sense in which Chloe Savini probably has the most thankless role in Zodiac as a film. in as much as she's got to be the angry wife who gripes at her husband for being too focused on the case and endangering the family and stuff. And it's like, it's one of those things that, you know, as an actor, you kind of have to find the right balance between genuine concern for the, for the health of your marriage, genuine concern for the safety of your family, balanced against, let's face it, you're married to somebody, you do want to support them in the things that they want to do, but how do you do that without coming off too much like the bad guy? I don't have the answer for that. But apparently, Chloe Savini does, because here again, she makes it look pretty effortless. So, I don't know. All in all, I just, I, I really dig her in this movie. She uh, she really does a good job. Now, for me, the one who, uh, probably the character who has my sympathies the most in this, mo- in, a, in, in this movie is... It's actually Mark Ruffalo as Inspector Dave Toski, and you know you get the idea that this is a guy. He is the ultimate straight and narrow cop, good cop, honest cop. You know this guy. He couldn't spell corruption if his life depended on it. You know, all he wants to do is get his man, and it's just this is just. It's such just such a brilliant and understated performance. Again, guys, I don't have the same eye for acting that other people do, but you know, Dave Toshki was kind of a minor celebrity in his time, even somewhat before the Zodiac murders took place. He was sort of the model for uh, Steve McQueen in that film Bullet, and you, I don't know why, but it's just. For some, there's something about this man, he was just so iconic in his time, and he really seems like he very much lives up to his own legend based upon Mark Ruffalo's performance, you know? He's just, he's a good guy, honest guy, all he wants to do is uh, protect the innocent people and, and throw the bad guys in jail, and when he... When circumstances prevent him from, from doing so, or worse yet, when people like Paul Avery fuck things up for him, yeah, he gets mad, but it's a, it's a very righteous kind of fury, you know? And uh, I don't know. I mean, for me, he's he's the real star of this thing, you know? He's the guy that, that pretty much underlies everything else. He's the one that sets the real foundation for everything. And for me, he's the linchpin of the film. Everything else sort of spins out of, spins out of that. But the other one that I really like... This is Elias Cotillas as Captain Ken Narlow uh, from uh, Vallejo, Vallejo PD. And he has, let's face it, an overall smaller role in this film simply because what the reality is he had, uh, uh, Mullinax had an overall 
lesser participation in the Zodiac investigation, less, we might say, than, say, Dave Toski, right? So, but nevertheless, you know, this is this is a guy, he's, he's quiet, soft-spoken, he's every bit the good, honest cop that Toski is, but he's maybe a little, he's maybe a little bit more sensitive. He's, he, he's, his, his, his strength is, it's really more of a quiet strength. And uh, it's like, just, man, they just don't make them like this anymore. I, I tell you that. So anyway, and then probably smallest of all is Donald Loge as uh, Captain Narlo from Napa Valley. And I think he's only got like two or three scenes tops. And, you know, Loge really does make the most of them. He's, it's, to me, it's a compliment whenever you say that you wish that such and such actor had a bigger role in a movie. But I kind of wish we could have seen more of Narlo. This is a, uh, I just, there's something about Loge's performance. I just kind of like his style. It's, it's just, it's good. So, anyway. So, like I say, I mean, all in all, I, I really do enjoy this movie. You know, it, it does have authentic suspense to it. It's just... It's just greatly enjoyable. Again, it's really the first half of the movie that I get the most into. Once you get into the second half, yeah, there are some redeeming qualities to it, but to me, it just, I can take or leave it. After, uh, again, after right about the time that the case against uh, Alan completely falls apart, yeah, I'm, uh, I can take or leave this movie, but uh, anyway. Overall, I just, uh, I, I really dig it. It's not necessarily an annual rewatch, um, and it's not, hell, for that matter, it's not even necessarily timed with uh, Halloween either. But uh, it's just, there, for some reason, this just really does seem very much like a Halloween-ish, Halloween season type of movie to me. Notwithstanding the fact that it actually came out in July of 2007, even at the time, this just seemed more like a fall, like autumn kind of movie, you know? So, anyway really dig it this is just so good so and uh i think that's honestly that's just about all that i've really got to say about uh zodiac so uh wow this uh this halloween season movie series that i'm working my way through is uh well, it's actually coming along rather nicely so um anyway so but uh either way i think that's pretty much it for me for this week so bye everybody i will see you next week
Okay, so I think that's just about the end of that. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is a proud member of the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. You can find the home for Trennis Magnus Punches Reality at twotruefreaks.com. You can also find this show on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. There you can interact with your fellow listeners and also see notifications of new episodes when I put them up. My Facebook group is the only official place where you can find everything that has anything to do with this show. The reason for that is because I despise Twitter. Pretty much everything about Twitter sucks. So join the Facebook group today. Speaking of Facebook, you can friend me just by searching for Trentus Magnus, which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S. You can email me and my parole officer at trentusmagnus at gmail.com. But remember, all feedback and correspondence emailed to me will be read on mic unless you request otherwise. So, if your email isn't intended for public consumption, don't forget to say so. Otherwise, I'll assume that you want your correspondence to be heard by my dozens, and dozens, of fans across the world. Do you have a suggestion for a topic? Feel free to email me, and I might consider thinking about the possibility of potentially discussing whatever you have in mind someday. And that's a promise! Since we're on the subject of feedback, Trentus Magnus Punches Reality can be found on iTunes just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. Won't you take a moment to rate my show on iTunes? That helps new listeners find the show. And just in case you don't think that I've given you enough shit to click on just yet, you can sponsor my show simply by going to twotruefreaks.com. There you can find the PayPal button, donate any amount at all, specify that you're sending Magnus some monetary love, and you will be an official sponsor of my show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there's no minimum donation. Be a Trennis Magnus show sponsor today. I don't have a Patreon, because if you think that I hate Twitter, boy, just wait till you hear what I think of Patreon. So, if you want to throw some bucks my way, the Two True Freaks PayPal link is the way to do it. The contents of this podcast are fictitious, hypothetical, and probably completely unnecessary. Any similarity to living persons or real-life events is purely coincidental and void where prohibited by law. Some assembly required. Batteries not included. Many will enter. Few will win. The white zone is for passenger loading and unloading only. All models are over the age of 18. Trinus Magnus Punches Reality is a Magnus Media Enterprises Limited production in association with Demonsacor of Milan, Italy.